1: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: It is a nation of over 1.2 billion people. A country with amazing culture, incredible food, major contrast between the haves and have-nots. Of all of the areas on planet Earth that contain so much mystery, allure, and intrigue, probably India tops that list. We take a look today at not only the challenges that India presents, but the incredible opportunity that it presents for the church in America. Joining me today in studio is the president of Mission India, Todd Vanek. And Todd, great to have you on the program.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here
2: boy, India. I mean, uh, this is a place where you don't know where to begin because there is so much richness and allure about this country in terms of its history, its culture, its food, its music, just all of it. Tell us a little bit about the work that Mission India is doing there.
1: Well, Mission India is a church planting organization, and we do that One thing, three different ways. We uh, train church planters. We start children's Bible clubs, which we form churches out of. And we do adult literacy classes, again, which we form churches out of. So we see the felt need of the literacy. And uh, India uh, is a nation of very young people. By 2020, it will be the youngest nation in the world. So, as you said, India is a nation of one point two billion people. Um, one out of every six adults is from India. One out of every five um, chi- one out of every five child um, children we would say is also from India. Um, the four to fourteen window is a big picture and a big calling of those we need to reach for Boy, Jesus Christ
2: a major calling in that regard when you talk about the size of the population. The role that India is playing on the global stage—it's becoming more and more, more and more of an economic power. Uh, certainly, we see major contrast in the country from an economic standpoint. We talk here in America about the ninety-nine percenters versus the one percenters, and boy, you really see the extremes in India. Yeah. There are areas of extreme wealth, particularly as we see an increased involvement in um, production and computerization, technology. Um, everybody is aware, perhaps, of uh, even. In India's version of Hollywood and, right. and I think they annually produce more major production films than even the Hollywood of California does and yet with so many areas of, of, of wealth and production as we say, manufacturing high tech there's also this interesting contrast that there are parts of India today that look and feel no different than they did even a century or two ago, do they?
1: Correct So going to India is really like entering back into um, the stories particularly of the Old Testament, even the New Testament uh, in terms of idolatry, in terms of uh, people fashioning gods um, out of metal, out of stone and worshipping those gods Uh, in terms of some of the pain and hopelessness that idolatry brings. um, Unfortunately, it is alive and well in India.
2: That level of Pain and poverty that the people of India experience to this very day, in large part, is because some of the historical norms in that country, the caste system, still is very alive today. Um, the extremes where people feel as if they are stuck they are stuck not only because of the methodology of which the indian society is 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 developed and, and operates but also stuck largely because of a lot of the religious influence of hinduism
1: correct so um india is a nation that is about 85 percent hindu and what that uh, hindu worldview really is um is a very self-centered worldview um so Hinduism it's not really a religion it's more or less a way of life it's a mythological thought process that impacts social living and what that social living worldview is it's about myself. It's about my karma. um, It's about living my life um, to the point where I'm living it at such a point that I'm doing um, so many good things that that's going to impact my karma in a positive way and my reincarnation um, will ultimately be better. So the hallmarks of um, Hinduism from a very simplistic approach um, would be number one, karma. And that's not like what goes around, comes around from the hit tv show that was on a number of years ago my name is earl um, but we have to remember that karma is the sum total um, of one's life activities in the past that, ha- that dictates one's current present living reality um, so therefore if i am an orphan If I'm somebody who's living in poverty, um, if I am someone who is homeless, if I am somebody who is um, living with a current state of illness, that is my fault um, because I must have done something so bad in a past life that my karma now has recreated me um, in this state of hardship and hopelessness. There's another key word um, that helps us understand Hinduism and that is the word Dharma. Dharma is a cosmic law that says that one must accept their current reality. Um, So the best thing I can do is to accept the fact that If I am a beggar, that that's what I'm, I am, and I'm going to be the best possible beggar that I can, because ultimately, if I am, then that's impacting my karma and will reincarnate me um, in a better position in life, but... um if I haven't done that well, then the odds of me being reincarnated into an even worse position is also a possibility. But here's the big thing that enters in is, so let's say that you're a beggar um, and I'm passing by you. Well, I don't have any compassion for you. I'm not going to help you because it's your fault. It's a life void of grace. And I'm not going to mess up my karma by violating the law of Dharma and helping you. Because then my next reincarnation is... Is, um, going to be impacted in a negative way. So that's the world view. So then when we come in and we start talking about um, not just the fact that there are gods of this nation and in, and in Hinduism there's 33 million different gods and that's the conservative average but when we come in and say we want to talk to you about the God of the universe not just these little deities of your nation but the God who made the heavens and the earth and we want to tell you that um you've been created in the image of god and that you're not a dolly you're not untouchable but you are a son and daughter of the king of kings and the lord of lords and we want to impact your life and we want to encourage you and we want to invite you into christian community um And people hear that as good news. And sometimes it's interesting, you know, that um, with so many churches here in the United States that we can kind of yawn to that as good news. But when you go to a country like India, you're like, wow, this is really good news.
2: Particularly when you delineate it in such a fashion that there's a tremendous sense of devaluing of human life. You're where you're supposed to be because of some past mistakes. It's not my responsibility to help you get out of that circumstance. Nothing I can do to help you anyway. So you have your lot in life. And I think this, in part, goes to the heart of what you were saying in terms of this sense of the good news. That not only is there ability to come up and out of your circumstance, but now to change the way you see yourself. Not in terms of, I've done something wrong in my past, therefore I'm at where I'm at and I deserve this. But rather to say from the perspective of God that you're someone created in his very image that he loves dearly for whom he has sent his only begotten son that you might walk in fellowship with not just another deity but actually the creator of the universe. And that's the point I want to pick up on after a brief time out, Todd, because I think for many, understanding how freeing it can be for an individual who has spent their life worshiping a deity or more, as you mentioned, 30 million, I've heard 330 million, incredible numbers, every village might have their own little deity, but in every case, there's never a sense of personal relationship, it's usually fear, of not wanting to make the God or the deity jealous, and so it's so much focused on this very distant, disconnected sense of of relationship, and that's not even the right word, because there is no relationship there. I do what I do to make sure the gods don't get angry at me, or I don't make the, the gods jealous of me. Now we enter into that sense of theology, the liberating theology of the message of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to die on your behalf, that through that shed blood, we might be forgiven, reconciled, and walk in a relationship with a God that loves me Wow. Yeah. That's Talk news. about good news. <laughs> We're going to pause on that point, come back to more of our conversation. Todd Van Eck is with us today in studio. He is president of Mission India. We're talking about this incredible place of the world, 1.2 billion inhabitants, and one of the most fertile opportunities for outreach and growth of the church in the world today. A brief time out back to more of our conversation as Lifeline
0: continues. And now back to Lifeline with
1: Craig Roberts.
2: Welcome back to Lifeline. With us today in studio is the president of Mission India, Todd Van Eck. And I'll mention, by the way, if you want to get more information about the amazing work that Mission India is doing and, of course, the amazing door of opportunity that we see in India today, check them out on the web. Simply go to missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. And we'll tell you more about some resources available on the website coming up in a few moments. But meanwhile, Todd, let's talk Talk more about this liberating message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were mentioning prior to the break about the the Almost bondage in which the Indian people find themselves, not just because the historical caste system, but then this sense of karma and dharma that they're at where they're at in their lot in life. And there's nothing that they can do to help themselves, let alone anybody else coming in and having a sense of compassion to try and pull somebody out of those circumstances. It seems to be, to a great degree, not only a culture in which there's not a lot of value placed on human life, but not a lot of effort in terms of helping another brother either
1: right that 's exactly correct, and um, there's many statistics that reveal that, so for example, um, four hundred million people uh, larger than the population in the United States are illiterate, seventy percent um, of the country lives on less than $2.50 a day. Um, In terms of the plight of women, in terms of sex trafficking, in terms of the social injustice of children, in terms of child labor, it can be overwhelming. But to hear those statistics um, so far away um, is one thing, but being there. And interacting with people and seeing them. I'm always reminded um, of the verse in Scripture where it says, How can we see our brothers and sisters in need and have no compassion? them. Um, it is like the love of Christ. Um, it's not in us, and that's what uh, uh, Christ saw when he was doing ministry, and that's what he saw. And our calling in the midst of that is not just to tell them um, who Jesus is and have them experience the wonderful gift of eternal life, but to expose them to the power of the kingdom of God, um, the shalom of God that impacts every area of their life. Um, that um, I believe I have um, life life i believe i'm going to live in the kingdom of god and i am experiencing that today um and ultimately i'm going to experience that in its fullness um when i'm living with christ forever so it impacts certainly not only their their
2: eternal future their eternal viewpoint but can have a very profound immediate impact on how they see where they're at today that i might be where i'm at because of history And birthright and economics, but I don't have to remain stuck here. Right. It gives a sense of hope. And this is something as you were describing what life is like in India. It seems perhaps one of the most profound words to describe the circumstances in which many Indians find themselves today, and that is a place of hopelessness.
1: Correct. So um, because of that, because we want people to have hope, and we understand that the kingdom of God brings that, as we are equipping indigenous Indian Christians, we want to equip them in understanding um, how they can experience um, wholeness physically. So um, we teach on sanitation issues. We teach on food preparation issues. We do um, HIV, AIDS education. um, We talk about labor. um, We have micro-business training. um, uh, People in India are very entrepreneurial and um, we do education um, in terms of starting businesses because Um, We want them to experience the shalom of God um, financially. We want them to experience a purpose um, in a sense of providing for themselves and for their labor emotionally. Um, we talk to them about the fact that they're not Dalits, that they're not untouchable. We say, here's your undeniable rights as citizens of the nation of India. And then socially, um, we talk to them about who they are um, as children of God. And then everything we do is laid on the foundation of scripture. So we're completely Bible-based in all that we do. But sometimes people hear about us and think that we are solely moving in to tell people who Jesus, which we do but to get that magic ticket into heaven and as you and i know that's a very limited um, worldview of what jesus has come to do and that is to establish the kingdom of god well in fact as you take a look at any of the examples of his ministry here
2: on earth you're not doing anything that deviates from the example that he set. in repeated cases that we see time after time throughout scripture As he came into a community, entered into a village, and crowds began to gather, was the first priority, I've come, that you might be set free? That certainly was the end game. But what did he always do? He addressed felt needs. Right. He fed the hungry. He brought sight to the blind. He gave speech to those who could not speak, hearing to those that were deaf. He recognized that there were immediate felt needs that had to be addressed to demonstrate God's love and compassion. Because let's face it, as human beings, we're living here in the tactile world. And you can tell me about heaven. I can think about heaven and eternity and what that's going to look like at the end of my life. But meanwhile, what about my circumstance in the here and now? The Lord certainly addressed those issues time after time in his ministry on earth. And it sounds like part of the, the viewpoint then, the goal, the vision of Mission India is to do the same thing. That yes, The ultimate goal is to share the good news, the life changing, eternal, eternity changing news of the gospel of jesus christ with those in need but to also recognize that they have felt needs in the here and now that need to be addressed
1: that's exactly right and i'm so glad you brought up the ministry of jesus because um that is ultimately who we look to as we develop um, our systems and strategies and one of the key things that we see um in jesus accomplishing all he did was the equipping of um his disciples so uh when some organizations begin they send Um, North Americans to do the work and that's not what we do. We equip people, um, indigenous Indian Christians, um, to do the work. As Jesus said, he wanted um, people to know who he was from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what he did is he equipped his followers to do that work. And um, it just makes more sense culturally because they understand the culture better than we do. It makes more sense financially um, because it doesn't involve all the cost of sending um, North Americans and raising support. And in terms of the language barriers, there's 1,600 different language barriers, and we can go into key areas, work with indigenous Indian Christians who speak those languages um, to do the work that Christ has called us to do. This is really about
2: effectiveness, then. Correct. It's about how can we best harness and utilize the tools and resources that God has given us to get this job done. And in this sense, you're talking about effectively training nationals, They already know the culture, they know the language, they're already there. They can bridge that gap in terms of being able to share the message. You and I come in, we're an oddity. Correct. Uh, But when you see Indian to Indian, Chinese to Chinese, wherever it might be in the world, it's about simply giving them the education, the tools, the training necessary to understand the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then
1: let Indians reach Indians for Christ. Right. And we even have them develop the material because we're like, you know better than we do from a cultural standpoint. So we want to walk alongside you. But we even want you to develop the material for the programs that we run there.
2: And in terms of effectiveness. Um It's difficult to talk about numbers, but when you talk about the ways in which the work of Mission India is touching on so many aspects of life in India, um, you spoke of education when it comes to reading. Uh, The illiteracy rates are pretty alarming. You're working toward reducing that. What else?
1: Um, micro business. Um, so we're um, teaching people how to start different businesses, as I said earlier. Economic to be, self-sufficiency. Yep, mm-hmm. economic self-sufficiency. So even in terms of some of the financial support, it's very limited in how long we'll offer that because we don't want to foster um, any dependency. And we want the Holy Spirit to be at work in an entrepreneurial sense um, to come together to say, I need to come up with a plan." trust in um, what God is doing um, for for this ministry, for this church, to be self-sustaining um, and self-supporting, and even in terms of finance, we have, you know, just a wonderful story about somebody who went through our adult literacy um, program. And one of the things that we teach is about managing one's resources, and we always say, "Stop spending, start saving." And um, so, for our adult literacy, it's two hours every night. People attend um, every night, five. Nights a week Monday through Friday For an entire year um, And they give Money to that leader To save And at the end That's given back Well we had a person Who went through that And at the end of the year Had forty dollars More money than she ever held in her hand at one time in her whole entire life. And um, she took that money, and she went out, and she bought a goat, and she started to sell um, the milk. Um, So you fast forward, um, and today she has over 70 goats. Um, Her husband was working on a fishing boat, ended up quitting his job, and I love this, to go to work for his wife (laughs) (laughs) at the goat business. And um, they went from renting a home, and we would not even call it a home, um, to owning that home. There was a sand floor. She had enough resources to put in a concrete floor. And the church that started out of that adult literacy center meets in her home. And we say that is um, faithfulness and fruitfulness. And we can tell that story in multiple different ways, um, all over India. A program like that
2: might be good here in the United States. Maybe (laughs) we need to think about that. We're going to take a time out, come back to more of our conversation. Todd Van Eck is with us today in studio, President of Mission India. If you'd like to get a glimpse into some of the work that Mission India is doing, not only in in terms of accomplishing changed lives from a spiritual standpoint, from a theological standpoint, but but from a here and now standpoint as well, get more information on the web at missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. One great way to start that could be a wonderful exercise in education for the entire family is to go to the Mission India website. And under the Connect tab, you'll find videos. And I would recommend taking a look at Passport to India. It takes you on a quick trip. You'll never even have to board an airplane or go through security. But it will take you on a quick trip to India to get a chance to go a little bit deeper in terms of getting glimpses into the culture and the background, the history, and the wonderful opportunity that we have today to see this nation on fire for Christ. Again, online at missionindia.org. Go to the Connect button, Videos, and then take a look at Passport to India. Something the entire family can benefit from. We'll take a time out, come back with more of our conversation as Lifeline continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our special guest, he is the president of Mission India, Todd Van Acken. Todd, on a personal level, it's clear that you have a real heartbeat for the people of India. How did you first, how did God first get get a hold of your heart and burden you concerning this nation and the tremendous opportunity that awaits the church?
1: Well, I would say that it started um, in my family of origin in terms of the worldview that I was raised with. And I was raised um, with the worldview um, that it is not about us, that it is about um, who Christ is in us and our call um, to impact people. So my father's number one gift um, was generosity, and my mother's number one gift was evangelism. And those are my two greatest gifts. So as I went through life, I was formed um, with those values. I, I... Uh, entered full-time ministry. I served as a lead pastor in churches from California to Michigan. Um, One of the uh, second churches that I was serving, the founder of Mission India, uh, had a cottage by our church, and he would attend there when he was not preaching somewhere else. And one Sunday after church, he invited me to travel to India with him, and I really had no desire to go. I didn't really have an awareness, um, but I really sensed God prompting me to go to India. Has this been
2: your first opportunity to travel overseas to the mission field?
1: That was my first international trip was to <laughs> India.
2: Get your passport, your shots, yeah. and get your heart ready. That's right. They don't always tell you that part. They talk about the luggage. They always, always talk about having your heart ready, because right. it sounds like God was about to break your heart.
1: Yeah, and while we were there, I was just broken um, that I say by the things that break the heart of Christ. And the poverty um, the the hopelessness of idolatry and Hinduism um, just really impacted me in a way that I had not been impacted before and one night we went out to this village and um, we were two hours late and we didn't know if anyone would be there and when we arrived the place was packed, probably 170 people and we walked in and our um, guide uh, said to me, tell them something and I was like about myself, about Jesus yes, tell them who Jesus is and I always say I stood up and I delivered an impromptu message on Jesus that was probably the worst message I ever delivered in my whole entire life <laughs> but while I was preaching it I prayed um, the whole entire time and the people I, were, I was with were praying um, for me and I'm telling you that sermon was bad and at the end I said who would like to receive Christ and people literally leaped off their seats. And I was really convicted um, regarding some of my reliance more upon myself, really, than the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, And I say, I studied the role of the Holy Spirit through Bible college and seminary, um, but in India I came face to face um, with the person of the Holy Spirit. And I returned to India and I decided that as a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ, I was going to do everything I could do um, to advance the kingdom of God in India. And people are um, so poor in India, but we're so big on not creating dependency that we really teach self-sufficiency, self-supporting. So giving is one of the realities that we teach, and um, people understand it. And But people will be so poor, they'll take a handful of rice from their table, and they'll put it in a rice bag. And they do that every night, and then on Sunday they come, and they'll offer rice as their offering. So we told that story in our church, and we um, passed out rice bags, and we asked people to fill those with cash. And it was a um, a very positive event in the life of our church. Um, I kind of became an advocate for Mission India. Um, we put them in our budget. Uh, we served them in multiple different ways. I encouraged uh, different people to hear what they were doing and to get involved. Uh, during this process and time, I became friends with different people at Mission India. and began to develop a relationship with them, speaking at some of their events. Um, also, during this time, my wife came home um, one night and said, I think that uh, God is, is calling us um, to adopt. And I said to her, boy, I, I'm I'm just not so sure about that. Uh, I, I just really want to um, pray about that. And the very next Sunday, I was preaching through the book of James. Well, what verse do you think I was preaching on that very next Sunday? Um, this is true religion. Mm-hmm. Um, to care for widows and orphans. And, orphans. Mm-hmm. and uh, I just really sense in a very strong way God's call for us to adopt. Because of our relationship with Mission India, we decided there was only one country we were going to look to, and that was the nation of India and so I have five children ranging in age from 25 to 5 I'm 51 years old and it can be pretty funny sometimes watching me chase my 5 year old around um, in the backyard in fact I said to my wife the other day she needs to learn to ride her bike and I'm just not so sure I have the stamina to chase behind her as she's learning <laughs> to ride it at age 51 um, but ultimately um, where my heart really shows up is one night my wife and I were um, watching TV and all of a sudden she hits me on the shoulder. and she said hey, I just had an amazing idea and we pray regularly for our daughter's birth mom to come to know Jesus so that our daughter um, can meet her in heaven. And my wife says to me, um, wouldn't it be amazing if um, Jory's birth mom came to know Jesus through the work of Mission India? And I said, that's a vision that I am going to live out. And we don't know where she is. So we've just um, decided um, that we're going to try to um, accomplish that vision with every person we Let's can. reach the whole continent. Let's reach the whole <laughs> continent. And uh, since that time, um, I was serving a, a church. I'm still being an advocate for Mission India. Um, India was part of our, our church's budget. In fact, we served a church that was had a great... Um, vision of God's global glory and 30% of our church budget went to uh, missions I hey, hey, pause you on that point because some listeners are saying I'm sorry I, I I got distracted
2: for a moment how much did he say 30% of the entire church budget
1: went to missions yes wow yeah and uh, so uh, I, I had a phone call from um, Dave Stravers, the current um, president of Mission India, and he took me out for lunch. And to be honest with you, I thought he was going to ask for more resources. <laughs> and um, he said to me that the board had been talking about his succession for the last two years. And my name was one that had come up repeatedly. And one of the board members um, said, I think the Holy Spirit's saying something here and we need to pursue this. And you know, some people, um, you could have knocked me over with a feather when he said that. And some people grow up and they want to be, doctors or lawyers or truck drivers or builders or an electricians. So and ever since I've been in ministry, um, I wanted to be involved in an organization um, that was crystally focused, laser focused on um, God's global glory. And that's what Mission India is. And uh, I really have my dream job. And think about it, how many people can say that? Um, and I really believe to go full circle all the way back to my upbringing, terms of the worldview of being generous and living out the great commission that God was preparing me through my parents for the role I have today. We're going to pause, come back to more of our conversation with
2: Todd Eck, president of Mission India. More information again on the web at missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. A brief timeout, back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back
1: to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts and you're with us today in studio, the president of Mission India, Todd Van Eck. And again, information available to you about this amazing ministry and how you can get involved by going to missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. I was taken as you were sharing in the previous segment, Todd, about your experience there and in, in, in preaching one of the worst sermons of your life and yet how the Holy Spirit came through and, and did an amazing work, which is not only a wonderful reminder that it's not about us, it's about Him, but also struck by my recollection of going into a Hindu temple and watching the incense and the smells, and India is so much about the sights and the smells—it uh, it sort of assaults all of your <laughs> all of your senses the minute you arrive in that country. There's so much to see and experience and do. And in that Hindu temple, I was struck by how hard man works to try and reach God or appease God. And as we stood in the temple watching this going on and the priests there dressed up in colorful garb and face paint on and incantations and doing the incense and so forth and all of that. And I thought, I wonder what the Lord is thinking looking down on this scene, seeing how hard this man was working to try and reach to a deity or the deity. And it struck me. The good news is that God Came down. He reached out to us. He sent his only begotten Son to us. He wishes to walk in relationship and fellowship with us. He wishes to shower his blessings, his compassion, his grace on us. And how that message. It's handing love in India Because there's so much hopelessness As you spoke of earlier But along with that hopelessness There's also tremendous hunger Isn't there? These are people that desire to know God The key is to come in And share the good news About the one True God, not all of these man-made false deities and idols, and uh, you know, a recollection of the of the the Israelites and and the the deity made of clay or or uh, the, the crafted as the as of gold rather, um, but that to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the liberating gospel, to people that are so hungry, really then sets the stage for a nation that is really ripe for the gospel, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. And there is um, unprecedented momentum occurring uh, in India. Um, In fact, we would say that the Holy Spirit is at work in such a powerful way um, that there is a window that is open. And one of the things we ask is, how long will this window um, be open?
2: And that's not to say that there aren't challenges, because the enemy is at work, too. And in fact, some of the stories we hear about persecution going on we know that there's been a rise of not only radical hinduism that has come down against christians but certainly a radical islam particularly up uh, to the north and yet that oftentimes is indicative of the fact that as the enemy is recognizing what the Spirit of God is doing, he comes in like a flood to try and derail that work. But the good news from the perspective of the believer is we know who's in charge, we've read the book, we know how the story ends, so to speak, and so here's an opportunity for us to step into this window of opportunity in partnership with an organization like Mission India and say, God, we recognize the need, we see the hopelessness, we also see the hunger, and we know how the good news of the gospel can come in and fill that vacuum.
1: Absolutely. So we were with a ministry partner this past week who's a tomato farmer, and I think he really said it best. You know, he said, when you have tomatoes, you have tomato bugs, and when you have powerful movement of the Holy Spirit, um, you're going to have spiritual forces at work to undermine that. So we regularly hear um, about people who have come to Christ uh, and in their village, they might be denied water rations. Um, They might be put out of their village. Um, Some people might be out of their homes. Um, There's stories of Christians um, being beaten. The other day we received news of a Christian burial where there was 42 people um, present at and they were attacked by um, radical Hindus. Um, There is intimidation that goes on. Uh, There has been a rise this past year um, in persecution by 50%. And uh, we understand that the two go hand in hand. And we don't necessarily pray for the persecution to end. We pray for courage and strength for our partners in the midst of the persecution. Well, and the irony is this is, again,
2: indicative of first century church. Uh, we're just talking about what is, quite frankly, at the core, normative Christianity. And I know that makes some listeners right now bristle, saying, well, wait a minute, Craig, what are you talking about, normative People being persecuted for Jesus is normative Christianity will read your Bible. You will be persecuted for my namesake. You will be despised because of me. Certainly the first century church knew and experienced that, and we see that all throughout uh, the New Testament. This is not all that unusual. And the irony is, amidst that persecution, there's still the thirst. People still recognize, here's living water that I can drink of in the name of Christ.
1: Right. So um, you're exactly right. Our Christian partners would say that that they don't even understand following Christ apart from persecution. Mm-hmm. It is just that they expect it and they um, plan on it. So we'll do some equipping and training even in light of that reality. But there's good things um, that come of persecution, and that is prayer lives um, are strengthened. Public witness uh, increases, and people are... I'm compelled to think about the claims of Christ in a deeper way when they watch people go through and withstand that level of persecution. Um, those who are not completely committed to the call of Christ will fall away in the midst of that. And just like the New Testament, there can be a scattering where than the gospel is brought to different geographical locations.
2: You shared with me before we came on the air today one of the videos that's on your website. And again, I direct our listeners back to MissionIndia.org, and if you go to the Connect Videos tab, you'll find one called Becoming Rich, and what strikes me about that in context of what you were just saying, and that is that a lot of people in India know what it's like to experience God's wrath or God's anger, the deity's wrath or anger, but when you're walking in fellowship with the true God, with the God of the universe, the God of the Bible... Now people have an opportunity to experience God's grace, God's keeping power, God's sustaining power. And so all of a sudden that comparison and contraction going on really becomes very attractive for seekers.
1: Yeah, and the um, story you're referring to really illustrates that. It's a story about a a widow and um, her son who um, her husband was working in a brick factory, fell into a furnace and was incinerated, um, was only compensated $16 for um, his death. There was no real compassion from her brother's family, and um, they just kind of began to wander. Um, To make a long story short, they end up in this village where there's a children's Bible club, where there's one of our church planters. Um, The son is invited to be a part of that. He experiences the joy of Jesus Christ. He shares it with his mother, and she's assimilated, and their family's assimilated into this church. And what I think about every time I watch it is I think I'm just grateful to God that she ended up in a village where we had a children's Bible club, where we had a church. Because 85% of the people in India, they don't even know another believer Um, They have no access to a Bible. Um, They aren't even familiar with what a church is. And a lot of times people talk to me and say, well, aren't there needs right here in the U.S.? And I say, "Um, of people who need to come to know Jesus, there's lost people here. And I say, absolutely, there's lost people here. But what I want to talk to you about is unreached people. So, for example, I have a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, but she's not unreached. And you know why? Because I'm her neighbor, and God's called me as a Christian to live out the Great Commission. When we're talking about doing ministry in not just India, but all different parts of the globe, we have to, as followers of Christ, um, understand the difference between lost and unreached, and they are two completely different um, philosophies and worldviews. Well, when we see that picture of... In this day and age, the fields
2: being ripe already unto harvest, but the laborers are few. And that sense of frustration we see demonstrated in that passage, um, the message perhaps for the church today is that, yes, we have a job to do here at home amongst our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers. But we also have a tremendous responsibility to see and recognize the heartbeat of God, that the word should be spread and preached to all of the world a John 3:16 perspective and that God intends to do that through us. When you speak, Todd of 85% unreached in India today, one of the most populous nations on planet Earth, 1.2 billion people. Here is God saying, listen to my heart cry. Come follow me and then go ye into all the world and preach that message. Yes, in Judea, but also to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Here is a a mission field. Here is the field that is ripe for harvest. The question that we pose today is, do you want to be a laborer? Do you think God is calling you to play a role? Now, maybe God's calling you to do something, shall we say extreme, where you eventually give up your position as senior pastor and take on the role of leadership of a missions organization, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Maybe God is calling you to take a short-term missions trip. If you'd like to go and experience firsthand what Todd saw in India, Mission India can help facilitate that. You can go online to get more information and do so again at missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. Perhaps God is simply saying to you today, pray. Pray about my will for your life and the people for whom I've sent my son to die in India that I might have relationship and fellowship with them and what you would do as a believer to help share that good news maybe it's simply for praying for Mission India maybe it's becoming a Mission India partner. To get more information again go online to missionindia.org that's missionindia.org Todd, our time is up, but I sure have appreciated the time together, the education, and uh, come back again and visit again, would you?
1: Hey, I appreciate um, this opportunity, and I appreciate um, all you're doing um, to cast a vision um, of a Christ-centered worldview.
2: Thank you. Again, Todd Van Eck, President of Mission India. Information again on the web at missionindia.org.